Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be continuing our series. We took a little break, but now we're getting back into the gospel of Mark and plowing forward, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You know, people start the new year with some resolutions, and oftentimes some of those resolutions are a diet plan. And there's lots of diet plans out there. But some, over the past few years, they, they've got into this diet plan of fasting. And while that can be a healthy means to lose some weight, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about biblical fasting, the importance of it, why do it, why not do it. And so today, if you've made some New Year's resolutions and losing weight and fasting is part of it, I'm not dogging on you if that's the, the route you've gone. However, today... What we're going to see in today's story is there is a season to fast and there is a season to feast. And um, what we see, just like today, people can fast for the wrong means, the wrong motives. In Jesus' day, we're going to see some people fasting for the wrong means, the wrong motives. And so the title of today's message is this. Out with the old and in with the new. And this is going to come to light as we look at uh, verses 12 through 21, or verses 18 through 22. And hopefully what we're going to discover today, when we think of this concept of out with the old, and with the new, we're going to hopefully discover that Jesus changes everything. Jesus takes us from fasting to a state where we can enjoy feasting. Jesus takes us from the old way to a new and living way. And here, here's the big idea that I want you and I to grasp, not just today, but each and every day of our lives. Because of Jesus, because of what we have in the gospel, we can have both salvation and true celebration. And we're going to see that in our text today. We just remembered the, the arrival and coming of Christ the first time in Christmas, and what a joyous thing. But in all of that, we must not lose sight of why he came. He didn't just come so that we'd celebrate this Christmas. He actually came not to just improve us, but to actually make us new. And we so desperately need this. And so he's going to be putting the world on notice. Something new has arrived today. When you're asking about why I don't do this or why I do this, because I'm not interested in these old broken ways. They were good for a time, but I bring something new. And so he's kind of putting the world on notice here. You see, the Old Testament is going to be the shadow pointing forward to the Messiah. So oftentimes people would fast in anticipation looking for the Messiah. So if the Messiah has arrived, why would I then fast if I'm in the very presence of him? And that's what he's going to be putting on display today. So when they're asking, when they're whispering, he's going to help them understand. And so it's very popular within our day and time for cultures to take on this mindset that, well... All religions are basically the same, and that all ways can lead to the pathway of God. Well, Jesus, the Son of God, would actually contradict that and have something vastly different to say about that. While that might sound really good, and while we can get along with all people with that, Jesus said, actually, there's, there's one way, and I am that way. I am the true and living way. And so he's wanting to press into that. He's wanting to have their eyes open to that. He's not looking to pick a fight with these people. He's actually looking to win them over to help see this. And so we're going to see Jesus gingerly 
giving some illustrations and stories to help paint a better perspective of why he does and doesn't do what he does. And so, with that in mind, let's go ahead and read together. Follow along. Verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' uh, uh, disciples fast? Why do your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on the garment, on the old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Even as we read that, we might have more questions than answers, and so let's ask the Lord through prayer to just help us today. Lord, thank you for your word. It is rich, it is relevant, it is robust, and at times we really need your help to understand it. And so I pray that I would get out of the way, that your word, that your spirit would reign and open our eyes to see, that we would be better off for our time together, better off for our time worshiping you and being in your word. Lord, and you don't, you don't want us just to go through the ritual and routine of daily church. You want us to come and worship and be transformed and to leave better, greater worshipers of you. And so I pray, Lord, even this morning, that you would do a great work that you alone can do within our hearts. Transform us by your words according to your perfect will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Jesus, he isn't seeking to be one of many ways. He is the way. Not man's way, but but the, the way of God. Jesus isn't seeking to add more legalistic, burdensome, man-made laws that just weigh people down. He's actually looking to liberate man from the oppression of the old sinful ways and rituals and religion that just continue to just bombard. And so Jesus truly offers this new day, this new pathway, this new life. He brings something greater. Old Testament shadow, now the Savior, the Messiah, is on the scene. And he's looking to make all things new. And so Jesus brings a new reason to celebrate. And so the first thing that we're going to look at and consider is verses 18 through 20, which is this. Celebration is centered on Christ. The, The celebration that we see that is taking place is all centered around Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no celebrating. What is taking place here would not take place apart from Jesus. And what we're going to see here is these questions is really the third line of questioning if we look back the previous things we see in the the first few verses verses 1 through 12 who has such authority to forgive sins well jesus does right and and he showed that and displayed that and then it moves on to the second question why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners right he's in the home setting of matthew the tax collector levi right And there's this joyous celebration party that has broken out. And and we see that a few months ago. We saw that in verses 12 through 17, which leads us into this third line 
of questioning. Why does his followers not fast? Why do his followers feast and have such joy and celebration? We're supposed to be fasting and and mourning and sorrowful and looking to God to show up. Well, he's already shown up. That's why they're celebrating. That's why they're fasting. The, The Jewish leaders, they're looking for a liberator. And what they have failed to see is the liberator, King Jesus, who's the long-term, eternal liberator, not just the temporary, short-term, has arrived on the scene. So it ought not surprise us that these people who have seen it, who have got it, who have come to understand aspects, elements of the gospel, are celebrating. It's a joyous occasion. And those on the outside looking in, they're not so joyous. They're not celebrating. They're not having this. You see, they're blinded in their religion. They're blinded in the rituals, and they fail to see the real reason to rejoice. And they're like, why? Why aren't they fasting? I mean, John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees, they're fasting. What about Jesus? What makes him different? What makes him unique? Well, Jesus changes everything. And so while we consider these questions, it's probably good that we understand the context. We've already kind of set the stage there of Matthew, Levi's house, And the Pharisees on the outside looking in, people questioning all these things. And Jesus is not going to shy away from the question. He's going to actually answer this. But let's let's think for a moment, John the Baptist. Why would he and his disciples be fasting? Well, probably by this time, John the Baptist is imprisoned. And so his followers, who are dedicated to John the Baptist, are going to be fasting and praying for John the Baptist. So they're going to be fasting But John the Baptist would have also introduced them the aspect of it's important that we fast waiting for the Messiah. Remember, Jesus' public display of him being the Messiah had not been known. So if they're they're following around John the Baptist here, there, and everywhere, they maybe have not heard about Jesus the Messiah fully arriving on the scene. So they might still very well be fasting, which is why people are asking this. And then there's the Pharisees. If you study the Pharisees, these guys are serious about their religion. They are serious about their their righteousness, their self-righteousness. They are serious about their rituals. In fact, they're so serious about it, they would take what God said in the Old Testament and they would just add to it. So God commands one time, one time only in the Old Testament. It's commanded to fast. It's the day leading to the Day of Atonement. So he commands this, and they must think, well, if one day of fasting is good, two days of fasting per week must be even better. And so they they regulate and have these rules about, listen, you want to be really righteous? You want to be really spiritual? You want to be really holy? You don't just fast that one day a year. You fast twice a week. And we're going to even determine the weeks, the days. So we will fast on Monday and Thursday. And Jesus would later talk about this, right, when he's talking to Um, about prayer. Do not be like the Pharisees who stand up front and say, I am so glad that I'm not like the tax collector, the sinner, for I am so righteous, I fast, what? Two days per week. So what he's talking about here, what these people are talking about, people are very much well aware of the fasting and traditions of other people, but Jesus is different. Jesus changes everything. Jesus isn't doing this. Well, let's just talk just for briefly, just for, just for a moment. What is fasting? I think most of you know, right? It's, it's the withholding of food. It's, it's the not partaking, abstaining from food for a certain period of time. 
Now, in the Bible, you're going to see lots of different situations and scenarios of fasting. You're going to see some doing a one-day fast, sun up to sundown. You're going to see some people doing a three-day fast. You're going to see some people doing a seven-day fast. And then you'll see Moses and Jesus doing a 40-day fast. Well, what do we learn about Jesus if we, because they didn't see all the ins and outs of Jesus, when and what and how he was fasting. We saw before he started his public ministry fasting for 40 days. So as if they're judging and putting on, Jesus isn't so spiritual. Jesus isn't fasting. These Pharisees, they fast two days a week. They're not fasting about 40 days like Jesus is. So while they want to act super spiritual, Jesus is the super spiritual one. But Jesus doesn't flaunt his, his fasting. He doesn't make people, look at me, I'm so spiritual. I've been fasting twice a week. Now what, what Jesus does is, he removes himself, he goes out into the wilderness, and he fasts. That's the difference between old system, new system, man's way, and Jesus' way. And so we're going to see um, four elements I want to share real quickly. And I think it's helpful for us to understand these elements of fasting, because it's going to show why Jesus wouldn't be fasting. So as we study throughout the Bible, you're going to see lots of different scenarios and situations for when and why and how people fasted. So I want us to look at four, um, basically, heart postures for fasting. You study the scriptures, you're going to see a heart of repentance. There's this inwardness of, I have some life-dominating sins that I need to rid myself of, that I need to find victory over, that I need to seriously repent over. I've been caught in and entangled by these things, and I just want to be done with it. I want to repent of it. I want to confess and get right with God again. You're going to see that a number of times throughout the Bible, this, this heart of repentance. Well, that's not true for Jesus. He doesn't have that. His people have already repented and followed him. Therefore, they're celebrating. There's also this, this heart of sorrow. Uh, this could be uh, the consequences of sin. This could be a great loss, some, some big hurt or heartache that someone faces. And so in the midst of this, rather than seeking comfort food, they're going to seek the comfort of God, and they're going to spend time fasting, saying, Lord, I am crushed by the weight of the world, and I need your comfort. I need your peace. And so rather than enjoy feasting right now, I want to fast. And outwardly, I, I come broken to you, asking for you to bind me together and do what you alone can do. And then number three, I think we're going to see that this heart of desperation or this heart of deliverance. It's this, Lord, I'm not sure about the future. I, I'm not sure about this, that, or the other. I need you to show up. I need you to direct my heart. I need you to, to direct this, the footsteps of my life. Lord, I want to see you do this and this, but I need you to show up. I need your deliverance. And so when it comes to, to big or pressing or future matters, I mean, even as we think of Gospel Grace 2024, there ought to be times where we say, Lord, go before us. I want to fast. I want to withhold. Why? So I can focus on you and have you go before me and yet with me in all of life. And then all of fasting, there should be just this heart of humility. A, a, a Godward thing in all of these things. The Pharisees didn't have this. They were doing it for show. And fasting should be for humility. It's just imparting God, I repent. God, I'm sorrowful. God, I, I need you to deliver. In desperation, I cry out to you. There's this Godward humility behind their fasting. You know, for all things, there's a season. Ecclesiastes talks about that. And there's a time to feast and there's a time to fast. 
And Jesus is going to point out that now is not the time for fasting. Now is the time for feasting because the Messiah is, is on the scene. But verse 19, we look at this question, we're considering this question, and the question could be genuine, genuine. But it's more likely a statement. You know, if you're so spiritual, if you and your disciples are so spiritual, you'd be fasting like these really spiritual people. Well, Jesus responds in a loving, honest way because he wants them to understand. He wants them to see the cause of their, the, of their celebration. So what does he say? The wedding guest cannot fast while the groom is with them. Here's what the rabbis saw. They saw the Pharisees fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, and they actually made a rule and said, listen, a wedding feast is a time of celebration, and it would actually be inappropriate and wrong for you to fast during this time. So do not fast. All of you, you put everything on hold for fasting. You see, in America, we have weddings, and they're a joyous occasion, and they're a celebration, but it's usually, what, a 30-minute service followed by two, three-hour celebration, right? In the day of Jesus, for a first-time marriage wedding, it was a seven-day event. It was a celebration. It wasn't like a, a come, sit, oh, that's cute, good, congratulations, and we're out of here. Everything gets put on hold. Everything stops. Everything outside of this seven days, that, that's all, that's not important. What is important is that we celebrate in the here and now what is going on. And so when Jesus starts talking this wedding language, this is going to resonate with them like, oh, this is something to get jazzed about. This is something to get excited about. And that's what he's talking about right here. And so the, the rabbis declare this. So when he asks this question to their question, it's this statement of the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them. Can they? They knew the answer is no. It would be inappropriate while the groom is here to say, you know what, I know you've prepared this meal and it's a time of celebration, but I want to withhold. I just want to fast right now. I just want to be real serious. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying there's so much more to that. Um, you know, following Jesus, I would say this should be entered into seriously, but it should also be entered into joyfully. Because God calls us to walk humbly and holy, yes, but joyfully as well. Being sad and somber all of the time does not showcase a celebration of, of Christ. It does not showcase all of the benefits and blessings that we get in and through Christ. You see, the, the gospel presents good news. And we got to be excited about this good news rather than moping around, woe is me. No, no, no. Jesus says there's something to get jazzed about. There's something to get celebrated about here. In a moment, he is going to shift. He's going to shift gears. But before he shifts gears, I want us to understand, in the Old Testament, God is the bride, and Israel, or God is the, the bridegroom, and there's this picture of Israel being the bride. Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah prophecies of old, do not point to Jesus being the bridegroom in the Old Testament. But there's these shadows, these pictures of God and his relationship with Israel. And then we turn the pages to the New Testament, and Jesus is going to proclaim, um, I think it's in Matthew chapter 25, 
is going to give this parable of the bridegroom, and Jesus is going to identify himself as the bridegroom and his people, the church, his bride, and this beautiful union together. Ephesians chapter 4 is going to talk about husbands love your wife. Why? As Christ loved the church, his bride. In Revelation, we're going to see this, this marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the uniting of God with God's people, this bride and bridegroom. And so even as Jesus is talking about this, he's wanting to connect the dots to them to understand. Just as you wouldn't go to a party and when the, the groom is there, se not celebrate. If Jesus is the bridegroom and I enter the scene, that is the bridegroom, it is a time that we center our celebration around him. And that's what he was getting at. He wanted them to see that. He wanted them to understand that. I'm not just somebody. I'm not just anybody. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who heals, and I'm the one who forgives, and I am on the scene. And he's, he's, he's letting this be known, but now he shifts to something a little bit more serious, because now celebration, but there is going to be a somber time, and so when it says there in verse 20, the time will come when the groom will be taken away. That thought, that concept of being taken away is talking about being snatched away violently. There's going to be a time when the groom is grabbed violently and taken away. That's not going to be a time of celebration. That's going to be a time of mourning, of somber fasting and praying. What is Jesus pointing to? Already in Mark chapter 2, he's pointing to, I know the appointed end of my life. Jesus always had the mission on mind. And so while he could celebrate with them in the here and now, and while he could celebrate with them at the Last Supper, he always knew what was coming. He knew he would be betrayed and beaten and die a brutal death upon a cross. That would not be a celebration day. That would be a somber day of prayer and fasting. And rather than the people gathered together celebrating, they are scattered and sorrowing. What is going on? Jesus is pointing to this. So he's like, people, now's the time to celebrate. There, there's a day where it's not a celebration, but now is a day of a celebration. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to man, and he wants them to see this. Well, they don't, they don't fully understand, they don't fully see it yet. He's wanting to paint this picture of him being the bridegroom and these people who are gathered together is this beautiful bride of me. And without me, there is no bride. It all is centered around me. But not only are we going to see this celebration centered around Christ, I want us to look at verses 21 and 22 and we're going to see the salvation that is fulfilled through Christ. The salvation that is fulfilled through Christ. You see, there is no celebration, no true celebration, apart from the salvation that Jesus offers. So listen, you can have temporary joy, temporary satisfaction. We're not talking about that. We're talking about true reason to rejoice, true celebration, not because of circumstances, but because of who Christ is and what he offers. This gives us reason to rejoice. So regardless of what is going on in your life or my life, we can still rejoice. Life may be bad, but God and his grace is still good. And that's what he wants us to understand here. So the Old Testament, right? There's these shadows, these pictures, these types, these prophecies. There's all these things pointing forward to 
And so people that would be fasting would be looking to these things. But here's what we see when we look back. None of those things provided salvation. They were all temporary means, temporary pictures. The rituals were temporary. The rules, the rulers were tragically, they all fell into sin. One way or another, they, they were not a savior. They could not provide. And the religious system was tainted. And, but Christ here, he is the real deal. He, he brings and makes all things new. He's the living way that replaces the old. He's going to be addressing this. My friends, it doesn't take long to read the Old Testament and see that system was broken. This day and time for them, they were living in darkness and it was not a good time. And so Christ comes to the scene to make a new way. He came to bring gladness, not sadness. But here's the question that we really need to be thinking. See, the real question isn't, why didn't Jesus and his disciples fast? That's not the question. The question is, rather, why didn't the Pharisees feast? Why didn't they celebrate the Messiah? Because they were stuck in their man-made religion, their self-made religious system. They wanted to worship God their way on their terms, and they didn't want Jesus coming and rocking the boat. Jesus is celebrating, and he's almost thinking, like, why aren't you celebrating? <laughs> the Messiah is here. And I wonder if Christ were here today among you, and he looks at your life, would your life resonate with one of celebration or not so much? If you know Christ, we have reason to celebrate. So he's, he's talking about this. Here's what we need to understand. Christianity is Christ plus nothing equals everything. He provides anything and all that we need, not according to my will, but according to his will. You see religion, rituals, self-righteousness, it equals emptiness, discontentment, no real reason to celebrate. That's these Pharisees, that's these people scratching their heads on the outside looking in. And so he's going to provide these two quick metaphors. And here's what we see in verse 21. Metaphor one is this. False religion is like an old garment. It needs to be discarded. You see, it was good while it lasted. It's kind of like a good old pair of blue jeans, right? They're good, they're good, they're good, and then you, you, for whatever reason, they're, they're not good anymore, right? And they need to be replaced. And he gives this illustration of you wouldn't take an old piece of clothing that has been worn and shrunk and torn, and put a brand new, unshrunk piece of cloth over that. Because when you sew that together and then you try to wash it, take care of it, it's actually going to shrink and it's going to tear off and the tear that was small would actually now be bigger. Jesus didn't come to just put a patch over the old system or try to interweave himself into the old system. He says, out with the old and in with the new. Just as you understand this patch and clothing illustration, that's not going to work. Your religion, your way, and my way, they're not going to work. We need to get rid of the old way and trust in this new way of Christ. That's what the gospel is saying. That's what Christ is helping them to see, helping them to understand. See, you can't unite the gospel of Jesus and some old religion of old. They have to be separated. They're two distinctly different things. And so, Christianity, and this is really important for us to understand because I think there can be a lot of Christians today that would 
not fully understand this, and they almost think of Christianity as Christ conforming to me. No, no, no. Christianity isn't Christ conforming to me, but it's me conforming to the ways of Christ. That's what he calls us to. That's really hard because I want to do it my way. I like my way. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do it my way. Well, you can say that and you can live that way, but Christ is calling you to a new way, a better way, a living way. And it's just as it's foolish to think of the shrunken clothes and the patch, any other way isn't going to work. And so Jesus' arrival, it's, he's making everything new. The old wasn't bad, it was useful for a purpose, but it's no longer needed. It served its purpose. And now Jesus comes to give a whole new purpose on life. That's why there's reason to celebrate. And then he gives this other, well, before I get to the other one, I was thinking the other day uh, about just some sort of illustration. Given the choice, let's say you have an old car. I mean, really old. It's, it's a rust bucket. You know, I mean, maybe it starts, maybe it doesn't. Uh, it leaks oil like crazy. Sometimes it smokes, sometimes it doesn't. The, the speedometer is, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, the gas gauge really doesn't work. Or you get a brand new, brand new car. Flawless in every way, perfect trustworthy, reliable. Which one do you choose? Now, some of you might be like, well, I like old cars. I like to fix old cars. Okay. Okay. Remember, it's just an illustration. Okay. You see how one served its time, served its purpose, but it's, it ain't no good anymore. You need something new. Quit trying to fix it. We're talking about our soul. We're all created with a soul that's going to live in eternity forever somewhere. God didn't create you to fix it. If you could fix it yourself, there'd be no need for a savior. There'd be no need to send Jesus. The fact is we can't fix it and we need Jesus, which is why he shows up on the scene. And that's what, I, that's what he wants us to see and understand. But he wants to just drive it home a little bit more. So verse 22, he gives this final, this final illustration, this final metaphor and this, is, this metaphor of basically false religion is like an old wineskin that cannot hold new wine. Now listen, as we read this, we're like, what is he talking about, okay? They didn't have Ziploc baggies and all sorts of containers that could contract and conspand and all these things. But in the ancient world, what they would do, would, they would take a goat and they would take, take the skin of the goat, right? Clean it the best they could pour the new wineskin in there, and because of the, the, the goat skin, it was not only strong, but it was flexible. It had some flexibility to it, for when they put the new wine in there, over the course of time, through the formation process, it's going to ferment and grow, and it's going to expand. And it actually worked really well for holding, containing, and keeping the, the new wine contained within the new wineskin. Well, listen, you have an old old wineskin, an old dried up goat skin. It served its purpose way back when, but you, you hold that around, it's going to get weak, brittle, frail. You pour that new wineskin, you, you pour that, that new wine into the old wineskin, what's going to happen? It's going to expand, but it's not going to be able to contain it. And it's going to be burst. And what's going to happen now? Both the old and the new are no good. It, it doesn't work. They cannot go together. That's what Jesus is wanting us to understand. These two cannot go together. 
Out with the old, in with the new. That's what he wants them to see. That's what he wants them to understand. The problem is, they love their old. They love me and my way. Don't mess with me and my way. Jesus says, you and your way is broken. I have a new and better way. Come and follow me. I love you. Follow me. I love you. Follow me. Well, as Jesus was ushering in this new era, Jesus, he is the new wine. Well, what is the new wineskin? The new wineskin is his way. Not your way, but his way. That's what he's wanting them to understand. The old system can't contain the new life that Jesus brings. You see, Jesus is not an attachment or an addition to a broken system. Jesus is the anointed one. Their way will not work. That's why he brings this new way. So the question isn't whether the Pharisees will add Jesus to their teaching and traditions. They love to add teachings and tra- teaching to their traditions. The, the, that's not the question. The, the, the real question is, will they forsake their traditions, their rituals, their preferences, all the shadows of the Old Testament and accept Jesus and the new life that he offers? That's the real question. Are you going to worship God the way God wants you to worship him, which is through Christ, or are you going to worship God and live your way according to your way, not his way? That's the real question that we must contemplate today. What about you? Rhetorical question, like, where do you align? Do you align with worshiping Christ and following Christ to all the ways that he wants you to? Or you're like, you know, that, that's good for some, but not all. I'm going to do my thing. Well, you're really no different than, what, than who Jesus is talking about here. You know, so the question, once again, is not whether the disciples will incorporate Jesus into their old ways, like refilling uh, the older container, but whether they will become new, genuine followers who are committed to see the good news of the gospel of Christ grow and expand within their own lives and to see that growth and expand take place in the lives of others. That's the real question. And the people have accepted this good news. They're celebrating, and they're going to go from this celebration here, and they're going to expand out, and they're going to let this good news be known about this new wine found in Jesus. Warren Wearsby said this, salvation is not a partial patching of one's life. It is a whole new robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 speaks about this, so does 2 Corinthians 5. The Christian life is not a mixing of the old and the new. Rather, catch this, it is the fulfillment of the old in the new. There's no comparison. Jesus' way and what he provides is so much better. His life, his ministry, his death, his, uh, all these things, his glorious resurrection, these all change everything and give us great reason to rejoice. I want you to look at this chart real quick. Um, it's going to show religion old, Jesus new. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see like they're so separate. They denied their sin. You know, they, they could live however they want, take care of these things. They had this external living, live for the, the, the approval of man, held to their old and rituals. And then there's Christ who calls man to repent of their ways, to turn to Christ, to have an internal heart transformation, not just externally looking good. He offered something new rather than the old ways. Uh, They look for the approval of man. He says, "I, I, I give you the approval of God. I want to enter into a genuine relationship. You see how these just don't mix well. Pretend for a moment that I had a picture of my wife right here. 
I do. I got a picture of my wife. And I just talk about her. And she is so amazing. And she is so awesome. And I love her. And it's just, it's just amazing. You understand, this is not my wife. This is just a picture. This is just a shadow of my wife. So if my wife were to enter the scene, this was good while it lasted. I appreciated seeing my wife and being reminded of my wife and all that she is. But when my wife enters the scene, that gets pushed to the side because now I can celebrate with my wife. If my wife has had a bad day, she can look at a picture of me in the kitchen and be like, oh, I love my husband. He's so amazing. He's so awesome. He's just, oh, just, he's, he's just, yeah, he's great. I just love him. And then when I come home, does she continue to talk about the amazement and awesomeness to the picture that's just a shadow of me? Or when I enter in, is she's like, finally, my rescue is here. My deliverer is here. I need to leave the house. You deal with these kids. You see, my savior, he has arrived. My, my bride has, the groom has come home. I can now celebrate. All is made well. Jesus was wanting them to see and grasp the importance of him. He wanted them to see it, to get excited about it, to get jazzed about it. So as we close... I want to talk to maybe the, the one that maybe has not come to Christ yet. The, the one that is contemplating, you're not sure about these people of gospel grace and this gospel that they speak about. Well, let me ask you, have you ever been changed by the power of the gospel? If you have, you'll know that. If not, you'll, you'll know that as well. But spiritually speaking today, I can't look into the heart and head of all you and know where you're at. I don't know those things, but I do know this. Apart from Jesus, there is a hole. There is a holy discontentment. There is a void within your life that you long to get filled. And you can try to fill it in all sorts of ways. Through people, or relationships, or, or jobs, or entertainment, or toys, or whatever. And while those things can be a temporary fix, temporary happiness, it doesn't provide the long-term joy and longing that you and I may still have. There's a reason for that. God designed us to find our fulfillment and joy in him, not these things. And that's what he's talking about. Those things never truly, fully satisfy. And so when we're talking about reasons to celebrate, you know, I can celebrate because my joy is connected. It's anchored to Jesus and not to circumstances. Because here's what you and I need to come to understand. If you're trying to find your happiness and joy in all those things I just mentioned, those things can come and go. You can get that job, and that job can be gone. You can have that savings, and that savings can be gone. You can be in that relationship, and then that relationship is no more. You see, the, the problem with trying to find joy in those things is they're just temporary things. And Jesus is saying the real joy, the real satisfaction, the real celebration is found in me and the salvation that I offer to you. Because I don't just offer you salvation and forgiveness of sins. I actually long to sustain and bring you satisfaction in your daily life. So when I talk salvation, I'm not just talking about this once and forever. I'm a part of God's family. That is awesome. But there's so much more beyond that. That gives me reason to celebrate regardless of the circumstances of my life. So now I want to stop and just speak to Christians today, kind of gospel grace home crowd.
Why was there such joy and celebration? Jesus had given them a new lot in life. You see, it didn't mean that they were going to have this worry-free, trouble-free life, but they found freedom in Christ. They knew the religious system, their way was broken, bankrupt, and burdensome. And Jesus comes forth and brings something new, and what burst out of them? This new joy, this new celebration. And so as we close, I want us to to be thinking about a, a couple New Year considerations, thoughts. And so I, I want you to consider these as we get ready to say amen and walk out of here. What do you celebrate? And what do you become sorrowful about? I think we really need to seriously contemplate celebrating Christ more. Celebrating Christ more. You see, there's a time to feast, but there's also a time to fast. And we need to learn to grow, to discern which area of life, when do I need to celebrate, when do I need to sorrow, all these things. But like, I mean, really, do you celebrate Christ or do you celebrate only when life is going your way? Do you sorrow over the things that sorrow God or do you only sorrow when your team loses? You see, people that seek their joy in anything other than Jesus, they seem to be constantly chasing after joyful contentment rather than simply celebrating Christ and the joy that he alone offers. So this year, we need to really seek to celebrate Christ. Like, be intentional about that. Don't just get stuck in these ruts down here, but let us celebrate Christ up here, regardless of everything else going on down here. Let's seek to do that. Uh, Number two is this. Maybe this year we need to commit to the bride. What do you mean commit to the bride? Christ loved the church and was committed to the church. Maybe this year, we need to up our commitment level. If you're a Christian, you love what God loves. That's just, that's just true. What does God love? God loves the church. God loves his bride. Who was together in this celebration? Who, who was it? It was all these followers of Christ. They were joining together for something special. To center their focus and worship and praise and joy and exaltation and worship around Christ. We gather for one day, for like an hour and a half. We need to be committed to this. But not only do we need to be committed to the church, maybe we just need to commit more to the bridegroom as well, to Christ. I'm not talking about a setting this prayer time or this Bible reading thing, but just like checking our commitment level to Christ. Are we living for His way in all that we say, in all that we do, Or we just give them a portion, and then the rest of our life is portioned out to me, myself, and I. My way. We need to be committed to the way of Christ and walking in that way. And then the last one is this. Maybe we do need to consider fasting. As we hit those four areas, right? We saw that that heart of sorrow, the heart of repentance, the heart of deliverance, and then just heart of humility. There's going to be seasons, whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, next month, or sometime throughout the year that you and I really need to get serious about our walk with the Lord as we're facing whatever the category is, you fill in the blank, where we go from a time of celebration to a a somber time of just meeting with the Lord, putting the enjoyments of life and the feast to the side and just saying, Lord, I just want to fast. I want to bow before you. So anyways, this year, let's consider some of these for our New Year considerations.